let's do this. Hey everybody, welcome to the debut episode of what I'm calling Geeky Stoics Megacast. Is that okay, Stephen? I, I just made up a name right now. Is that uh I love it. Nothing has ever sounded so stoic, but so awesome. And, uh, right? And that, metal. That, that, that sounds a lot, maybe more morning zoo than stoicism. But then let's be honest, I bring much more of the morning zoo vibe, and you bring much more of the actual stoicism to this this project of ours. I don't, I don't know if that's true, Riley. You're, you're an inspiration in and of yourself. No, I, I tried. No, I'm excited because we've been talking... Um, this project isn't even a year old. Um, and it's evolved a lot between you and, and me as we've gone. And we've really landed on this battle rhythm of um, just regularly writing and regularly producing YouTube uh, videos based on their writing. And I love it because it's different. It's different than stuff I've ever done before. Um, it's it's It takes a lot more effort for a lot shorter content. And as the guy who's used to like just getting behind a microphone for 10 years and talking Star Wars for an hour at a time, that's the easy part. But I also kind of missed it. But that's also not really what we decided to do with Geeky Stoics. So this is sort of the um, the compromise, the in-between. This is the, uh, we're going to try to get together about once a month and just do a conversational long-form uh, podcast, essentially. And so that you guys, if you're listening to this in the podcast feed or if you're watching this on the Substack, thank you so much. Um, and uh, we welcome you to our little like casual conversation. We'll probably get a little behind the scenes. But let's start with the nerd talk, Stephen. So um, I won't beat around the bush. I saw this... Pretty, pretty awesome Twitter thread that you had yesterday surrounding the discourse of the director. Uh, terrible. This is why this is my my Char- off Charmin Obeid Chinoy. Thank you. Charmin Obeid Chinoy. Yeah. Uh, a recent interview that she did, which had a couple of different quotes surface, one particularly that just seemed like baked in the oven, just like someone se- well seasoned, prepared and baked in the oven and perfectly packaged to just outrage the Internet. Um, and and not since the early days of the Ryan Johnson Twitter posts of 2018. Do I remember like this level of of discourse around it? So, give us the background. Uh, remind folks, or, or or if if you're not plugged into everything that Star Wars fandom is talking about on social media, which is probably a good thing, uh, set the stage. Uh, what what the heck's been going on this week? Yeah. So, where to begin? Uh, over New Year's Eve, Star mm-hmm. Wars director and documentary filmmaker uh, Charmin Obeid Chinoy. She did an interview with CNN. Uh, they were mostly doing a segment on on how like New Year's Eve was beginning in Pakistan because Pakistan is on the other side of the world. Uh, that's her. Oh, uh, this is the this is the Anderson Cooper uh, show. Yeah, yeah. And this is this is her uh, uh, her home country. She's from Pakistan. She now lives in Canada. And so they were like, ah, Pakistan ball drop. Well, let's speak to a Pakistani filmmaker, uh, Sharmin Obeid Chinoy. Uh, who has made a handful of documentaries. Uh, she's also presented and, and hosted programs at the World Economic Forum. Uh, and oh. she's been tapped to direct the next Star Wars movie, uh, which, you know, I, I, I think is a strange choice. I, I'm not against a documentary filmmaker doing a Star Wars movie, but... Um, it, she's most known... She did the Ms. Marvel, right? Uh, she did it like an episode or two, yeah. She did a few episodes. Yeah, she was episodic. I'm guessing that's her connection to the the Disney Disney Plus. Yeah, I, I would think so. And so Charmaine does this interview, and and the host asks her, 
you know, what are you excited about with this opportunity? And Mm -hmm. what she begins with was just kind of diving right in on it's 2024, very excited for, uh, you know, a woman to finally steer the direction of Star Wars and doesn't really say anything necessarily about Star Wars itself. You know, what the movie that she's making, what she's excited about as a maybe a fan of, of Star mm-hmm. Wars talking about this. Um, and so it immediately provokes a response from the fandom. Uh, yeah. From there, and Stephen, I'm going to give her, I'm going to, I'm going to do my diligence here. I'm going to give her credit mm-hmm. and uh, I'll, I'll read, read the excerpt here. And then of course the full quotes are all over the internet, but the actual full quote is, they ask her about her Star Wars movie. She says, I'm very thrilled about the project because I feel we're able, we're able to create something that's very special. All right. Great marks, by the way. If I'm her publicist, I'm like, you know what? You can't talk about this project, but you know, you're exude excitement. Don't give specific details. Allude to it. All right. Good. Good job. All right. We're done. But the next thing she says is uh, we're in 2024 now. Uh, we're in 2024 now, and it's about time we had a woman come forward and shape the story in a galaxy far, far away. And that's what I was talking about earlier when mm-hmm. uh, I just, I, it's amusing on so many levels, both the statement itself from a PR perspective, because you're a PR guy, but also uh, just the predictable over-the-top reactions to it. Yeah, I, I just, I feel for this woman because I feel like either she doesn't care or nobody briefed her about how to begin a Star Wars project successfully, how not to begin with bad blood, bad faith, and uh, sort of a fracture between you and your audience. This is this is how you do that. Uh, you give this kind of interview uh, and don't really offer any particular care or interest in in Star Wars itself. So this sort of sets people into looking at other things that she might have said, because that's that's the era we live in. That's what that's what the internet does. And so a clip resurfaces. You've heard that phrase oh a million times. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so and this is of twenty uh, twenty fifteen. Uh, Charmaine Obed Chinoy is on a panel uh, with Meryl Streep. Uh, and Ava Duvanier, I'm, I'm butchering her last name, um, and John Stewart. John Stewart is interviewing all of them about women in cinema. And he mm-hmm. asks Charmaine uh, Obechinoy, like, why the common thread in all of her movies is that men are a-holes, uh, and how do you sort of bring men along on the journey of being, uh, like, better to women, right? Um, now, she is in 2015 at this time, and she is also okay. promoting her documentary films on Islam in the Middle East and the repression of women, um, where honor killings and stonings and uh, just horrific uh, rape and beatings of women occur for little to no reason other than religious fundamentalism. Uh, that's what she's promoting at that time is her documentary films on this. Uh and she leads with, I like to make men uncomfortable. I enjoy making men uncomfortable. Uh, you probably have the full quote if you would like to to read it. Um, I, don't, I don't have it right handy, but I can, I can get it. Here. Yeah, I can, I can find it pretty quick as well. It, it, so what she dives in on is, is her enjoyment of making men uh, uncomfortable and then goes on to sort of offer 
what I really believe is a, a, a lecture in tone, she says, and it, it should make you uncomfortable because you need to change your attitude. And it's only when you're uncomfortable, when you're shifty, when you have difficult conversations that perhaps you will look at yourself in the mirror and not like the reflection and then say, maybe there is something wrong with the way I think, or maybe there is something wrong with the way that I am addressing this issue. Mm. Now, again, she's she's talking about Islamic fundamentalism in the Middle East, and this yeah. clip is brought up and grafted onto what she said on CNN. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it's a really bad overlay, and it also does sound like really bad. I mean, if you were talking in context to American audiences and like Star Wars fans at Star Wars Celebration, and and you said that, I mean, my jaw would be on the floor. Uh, you know, we have we yeah. we are not a perfect society uh, by any means, but uh, we're not um, uh, what she's used to in in covering these issues yeah. in Pakistan, um, or what the or the which is important in the context of that other quote that's recently resurfaced. You know, yeah, no, I mean, and it is, uh, and so what this has sort of led me to was thinking a little bit about why this actually rubbed me the wrong way. Like I, I tried watching it as if I didn't know the context and if somebody was just saying this to me. And I would not respond well to that. Uh, leading with, I want to make you uncomfortable. I enjoy it. And by the end of our conversation, you will look in the mirror and you will see that there's something there you don't like uh, and you will come to my point of view. That's not how persuasion works. There is no context that I've ever been in uh, or any book that I've ever read on how to win friends and influence people. Um, we're sort of like a finger wagging, like lecture type approach to morality and getting people to meet you at your point of view uh, works in the way that she described. Um, and so I wanted to search mm -hmm. why that, that rubbed me the wrong way. And it actually led me to something that I've recently read as part of a, a course I did with Hillsdale College. You 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 did one as well, right? Mm -hmm. yep, yep. Yeah, I, I was doing the course at Hillsdale College uh, on children's literature. And as part of the reading, I had to read Three Ways of Writing for Children by C.S. Lewis, uh, the man behind the Chronicles of Narnia uh, and Mere Christianity and the Screwtape yep. Letters, among other things. Um, inspired the classic 1988 uh, BBC adaptation, <laughs> the greatest fantasy film. I, of all time. I uh, that yes, movie continue. is ingrained in my mind. Uh, my or my nightmares. Um, if if you've never <laughs> if you've never seen or taken the time to Google the 1988 Chronicles of Narnia, I highly recommend you do. Uh, it is not quite like the the fantasy land of of Disney's Chronicles. <laughs> Sorry, I've completely derailed you, but yes, no, that's uh, but your your point is about the larger um persuasion if uh to which is was the sort of point of the original talk um it was about women in filmmaking which i think the context of 2015 is a little different than the context now certainly for the star wars community that was uh, so the it's first year of me too that, right 2015 yeah, yeah it really was so this is i think the context culturally is important but also like that's you know the, that quote comes from an era to prior to the last jedi and prior to the the great kind of political split of Star Wars fandom. Yeah, I mean, also, I don't I don't know when Kathleen Kennedy 
uh, well, actually, that's a different comment. But, um, you know, Kathleen Kennedy at that time has taken over Lucasfilm. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. Lucas- yeah, she took over in 2012. 2012, yeah. And uh, Star Wars is just about to release its first movie, The Force Awakens, uh, and move on with its new trilogy. But anyways, to, to finish on kind of the C.S. Lewis point. So C.S. Lewis has written about this very question, which is, how do you write moral tales? How do you get people to learn worthwhile moral lessons from your stories, but also have them be stories that people want to consume? Now, mm. we're talking about films here, but C.S. Lewis is is an author and a writer, so he's talking about books, but the two things are are completely the same. You can graph them over one each one another. And so he lays out in Three Ways of Writing for Children uh, how to write exciting and worthwhile stories for kids. He wants you uh, to entertain and also edify, you know, satisfy some sort of higher desire. And he talks about messaging and teaching morals. And he says a couple of things. I'm going to try to paraphrase here so that, that we don't go too long. Or actually, no, we got plenty of time. I'll just read you the full quote. So this is the mega cast. Yeah, Steven. this is we have a three hour block of time. This is the mega no. cast. <laughs> this is the mega cast. We, we do it live. We do it real here. So C.S. Lewis says, I would like to return to what I said at the beginning. I rejected any approach which begins with the question, what do children like? I might be asked, do you equally reject the approach which begins with the question, what do children need? And so he's saying there right off the bat that he does not like the question as an author, what do modern children like? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't Mm. care. Like what modern children like doesn't mean that that's what you should write. So think about that as Star Wars fans. What Star Wars fans like doesn't mean that that's what you should try to make. Um, and then he goes on to, you know, would I equally reject? What do modern children need? What do Star Wars fans need? Uh, and he also says, yes, I would reject that. Uh, not because I don't think stories um, should have a moral, uh, but certainly, you know, certainly children like morals. Rather, he says, I feel sure that the question, what do modern children need, will not lead you to a good moral. He says, if we ask the question, we are assuming a superior attitude. <laughs> and right off the bat there, like that, that's that's it. Like he he pretty much nails it right there. That if you are asking that question, what does my audience need? How can I make them better? Uh, you know, mm. you're you're approaching it from a a position of superiority. There needs to be a dose of self-interest a little bit in the story that you're telling. And I'll explain what I mean by self-interest. He says, next, it would be better to ask, what moral do I need? What moral do I, the author, lack? For I think that we can be sure that what does not concern us deeply will not deeply interest our readers, whatever their age. But it's better not to ask the question at all. Let the pictures tell you their own moral. Let the story just tell you the moral. And he ends by saying, but if they don't show you any moral, don't put one in. For the moral you put in is likely to be a platitude, a falsehood skimmed from the surface of your consciousness. Wow. I I wish that every single filmmaker, particularly anyone who ever was going to have to touch Star Wars, 
had to have this quote like plastered to their face um, and committed to memory because this is the better way of telling stories. Looking at the inner shadow, looking at the thing inside of you that needs fixing. And then you are sharing mm. that with other people, making sort of a bet that they're going to relate to it. Uh, it's yeah. a lot better than you guys are broken and I'm going to fix you. <laughs> it is. And I think that's, that's, a, that's really good analysis, Stephen, because I think this is where, you know, we talk about empathy a lot here. I think this is where we can do two things. One, I think it helps us understand the, um, the mistake of approach uh, from that, that comes from that quote, uh, but not necessarily, it doesn't have to assign mal, this doesn't assign malintent or make uh, this director a terrible person. And I think that's a leap that we shouldn't make. At the same time, I think it also explains why the reaction is so strong because that's sort of that that's the way a quote like this is perceived, which is also not necessarily right. But we can certainly understand, I think, why uh, why that's been the case. And it's really it just sort of disappoints me as a Star Wars fan who's always looking for the um, for the like healing and or reunification and or just the calming down of rhetoric in, in Star Wars fandom. And it consistently never happens. And every week I feel like something like this comes forward and I'm again, disappointed again by pretty much everyone on any side of the political spectrum that reacts to this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and Obey Chinoy, she makes important films and she's seen, I, I think, object objective evil uh, and wrongdoing in the world and, and mm. documented those things accordingly and i you know i i really appreciate you know sort of like that that moral sensibility that she might bring to to any movie that she makes but you know you have to be questioning yourself and your motives all the time and wondering if maybe you know the things that you have seen the the evils that you've experienced if you are inclined to graft those evils and those wrongs and those sins onto other people people who have not committed you know those sins or even mm. or even hold those views and, and kind of what i mean by that is you know if you're telling these stories you're steeped in that world and then you're going to make a movie Star Wars movie, like right, primarily for American audiences, but it's obviously a global franchise. Uh, but primarily American and English speaking audiences, um, they're not going to see themselves in that, especially if you try to point the finger in that way. Um, try to tell something about yourself that you distrust, mm. that you dislike. I mean, imagine if uh, a filmmaker like Chinoy approached it with like, all right, I've seen all of these evils. I've seen all this wrong. Now I'm going to tell a story about a person who has witnessed incredible evil and is unfairly distrustful of people who are not like her, right? Mm. Uh, it, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, if she can't be humble enough to kind of tell that story, I, I would distrust that. What Star Wars does so beautifully is that George Lucas, from the earliest days of Star Wars, uh, was telling a story about the inner shadow, the darkness within each and every one of us, the hero in particular, and mm -hmm. the realization that you two could become the villain of the story, that Luke could yeah. become Darth Vader. Uh, Luke uh, or, or George Lucas talked uh, quite a bit about his relationship to his father 
his fraught relationship to his father, a capitalist, a Republican, yep. a businessman, um, <laughs> who did not really appreciate George Lucas's artistic streak. And George didn't want to be like his father. And mm -hmm. he set out to be the opposite. And he's talked a lot in interviews about that tension, that journey to not be like that person. And George Lucas is the capitalist, the businessman, the reshaper of Hollywood. His art turned him in, in so many ways into, into his father. But he was telling a story with Darth Vader and Luke about that tension, that fear mm -hmm. of becoming that boogeyman, that father who you sort of resent. Um, and like that's a that's yeah. a story that everybody sees themselves in. Everybody. Uh, that's a universal yeah, that's tale. True. And it's not taken from a position of uh, finger wagging and higher than thou morality. It's like because um, I'm working on um, a script for one of the, the future Geeky Stokes videos, and it's like just a deep dive into the do or do not. There is no try. Uh, but I couldn't help because as I as I was writing it and editing it, I was just getting really distilling the um, the one uh, cave moment with uh, Yoda warning Luke like. He asks him, he's like, you must go into this cave. And Luke's like, well, uh, what's in there? And Yoda says, only what you take with you. At which point, of course, he then you know suits up with the blaster and lightsaber to defend himself against whatever evil is is in there. And of course, the whole point of that scene is exactly what you're talking about, Stephen. Uh, and that is that when he faces the the visage, the vision of Darth Vader. Visage. Uh, yeah, the visage. Um the 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 mask cracks upon being struck and he sees himself and i think that that's like that that's george and george if that was george he'd be like oh i got screw you dad uh that's that's my impression of a george lucas but like it would the mask would come off and it would be his dad um but it's the same it's the same principle and i think that's why it's important because that's not just a prequel thing a lot of people associate the like Oh, you could become evil as something that's the Anakin story from the prequels. Yep. But I, that's that's right throughout Empire uh, and Jedi. Like even the beginning of Return of the Jedi, I think every kid watching saw Luke in the Luke in the black suit uh, walking into Jabba's palace and, and force choking the freaking Gamorrean guard, and like, oh, uh -oh what happened? Um, and that's. But to your point, I, I'm gonna, and so this is where I'm gonna sort of make the the nuance point. I'm gonna tack left a little bit. The pun only slightly intended. Um, I think I'm a big fan, by the way, of Miss Marvel. It's actually one of the few okay. Marvel shows uh, that I really liked. And it's because of my personal connection to Pakistani culture, because I lived in Peshawar until I was about nine years old. Um, and so I have I a distinct cultural this. connection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. And that's why I was talking about this. I was on Geek Out Loud a couple of weeks ago. Um, with Steve Glosson and, and, and we brought up the same exact topic, which is that the reason, by the way, Stephen, that that show is so well told, I know she was an episodic director, but in, overall was the experience and background of the, the, the Pakistani writer who wrote the characters um, and wrote them very authentically, meaning that they really she captures the tension of uh, the Pakistani heritage uh, living as an immigrant in the United States and just the the cultural inconsistencies both both the um, the the struggles of uh, her family's experience generationally of the British Empire's uh, awful rule uh, and and kind of what that means for like what what the West means to 
Pakistanis who generationally grew up in Pakistan is the British Empire, which is really ugly um, and uh, genocidal, uh, objectively. And that's, but that that sort of tension exists as then um, someone who has the the conservative uh, family Islamic cultural values trying to live in the United States, which has this almost weirdly uh, very open, comparatively liberal society, that there's this strange disconnect. And I experienced that very personally when I moved back to the States, even as a kid, because there's a there's a level of structure and support in uh, religious culture in general. And I think this applies uh, to whether it's Islam or Christianity, it, any deeply religious um, or, or, or Judaism, any deeply religious culture where that's sort of the cultural tie for the community. It's very difficult moving to modern America and many modern uh, secular countries in the West because you just don't have that that tie. So I say all that to say is that that's really well told and a very fundamental part of the plot down to like there's actually really cool historic flashbacks that kind of bring the supernatural elements to the, the superpowers that sort of first appeared in her ancestors that helped sort of defend against the evil British. And I, I actually like, I thought it was a really, it was a really cool, the British empire is essentially the galactic empire in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And I like, so I liked those elements a lot. And I say all that to say is that those work very well in the context of that story. And it's so funny, like so many more right leaning uh, fans and, and that side of the nerd community automatically just, throws out the whole series but i i can understand why if you don't have that same context so i think that's important oh sorry i lost i lost you for a second steven you're no, i just about, i've never oh, yeah. i've never heard somebody love on miss marvel i nobody surprises every time man <laughs> but you know what i've also never heard i've never heard anybody um shred miss <laughs> marvel who watched it uh i just yeah, yeah. you just like hear dunking from people who either didn't watch miss marvel or like oh what's that uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I've never actually heard someone who watched it like explain uh, the case for it. So, oh, I appreciate it. There you go. That's, um, my, that's Riley's case for but, <laughs> Marvel. You know, the I think the the thing that I, I mentioned earlier about sort of like a, a selfish motivation for kind of coming up with the moral is that when you're a storyteller of any kind, you know, even a writer, like when I'm like writing geeky stoics, right? And I'm kind of coming up with something that I want to send to everybody, I am trying to write in the art that I am making a letter of advice to myself. Um, and that is like the best way to start any sort of creative project, especially if you are writing advice, which Geeky Stoics is, is sort of rooted in. Like we are doing here sort of a modified version of the self-help genre, self-improvement genre, drawing on works of fiction and then also supporting that, right, with uh, philosophy and sort of more timeless you know, religion and, and, and literature. So, you know, we take Star Wars and then we bolster it with an understanding of Seneca, Letters from a Stoic, or C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, just stuff that kind of is a little bit more timeless than hmm. some of the pop culture stuff that we might consume. Um, you know, it doesn't take a lot of energy to figure out what's wrong with young people uh, today or of any generation, uh, but it's a lot harder to dredge to the surface the things inside you that are not working. And if you can find that thing, 
if you can find your control freak tendencies, your judgmental nature, your emotional neediness or like quickness to anger, you tell people about it. You you share that with your audience. And trust me, again, like I've I've seen this with geeky stoics. If you try the audience is going to relate to you more mm. if you don't try to minister to them from atop their favorite stories. Uh, in my writing, people send me the most positive responses, the most engagement, the most comments when I overshare. <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> I kind of do like hard on the sleeve sort of stuff. And I think that's because people are drawn to that, you know, that principle of Matthew 7, 5, take the log out of your own eye mm -hmm, so that you can yeah. see clearly before you remove the speck or the log from another person's eye. And the point of doing this, as Jesus instructed, was not so that you can see clearly. It's so that you can help others see clearly. The point of ministry, the point of the Christian life is to reach out and minister to others. But to do that, you have to right remove the beam and the purpose is then to go out and do good works. So it's almost, in a sense, selfish that you have to do like a selfish action of making yourself just a little bit better. But you're doing this mm. to help you, right? Yeah. Like this is this is the the true underlying motivation. Um, and so every time I write, I am writing something that I struggle with because I am not going to to be motivated to write stuff for the audience for geeky stoics or do videos for stuff that I've never struggled with. Cause I, I that's, that's just weird and it's pious. Um, instead I try to do stuff that I'm very bad at and write about it. <laughs> Which I know, I, I think, I think it's, it's powerful and it always shows cause that's always the stuff that connects way more. And that's, that's, that's why it's important. And I, I think that I can think of plenty of times where I've, I've, probably done both over the course of my time getting behind microphones. Um, even just kind of generally talking about star Wars. Um, it's, it's, it's very, it's very easy to do, but yeah, no, I, th I think, um, it's a trap. I, I, it's, it is a trap. Um, all right. I got to ask you about, um, how far you are in fellowship of the ring. Consider this your accountability partner. Who's a giant Lord of the Rings fan who wants you to have read all six chapters. Well, this week. We, uh, for the book club, this is your book club check-in in the film. I'm all the way to the end of return of the King. So, uh, so you've I, been watching all three. Uh, yeah. So actually we nice. have been, um, the, the mood struck my daughter, my daughter finally felt like a desire to really watch these movies. And oh. I was like, I was like, all right, let's do this. But also we're going to do the extended editions only. Uh, Amen. Amen. And I, I did that because I have not seen the extended edition of return oh, of the King. Uh, I had not ever seen the extended edition of fellowship. I had seen the extended edition of two towers. Um, so we watched the extended of all of them. And also I re recalled like, as we were starting return of the King, I hadn't seen that movie since theaters. I, oh, wow. I, I, I saw it once. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not to say like, I didn't, I didn't like it, but I don't know. just like two towers and fellowship or movies that I've just watched a dozen times. Um, oh, interesting. And yeah. I don't, I don't know why that is, but those are the ones that always end up getting play. Kind of like how I, I don't really watch a New Hope that much. I watch a lot of Empire and Return of the Jedi, but Return of the King, I saw it one time, so almost everything was new. I completely forgot about the the ghosts. 
Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the ghost army of, of uh, a lot more, dis- by the way, in the extended edition too. disgraced, disgraced men. Um, but let me, let me grab the book here. Uh, All right, here we go. Steven's going to, there we go. It's All right. Out. So accountability check-in. I'm a <laughs> bad man. Um, nothing makes, nothing makes a book club more fun than the guy being like, have you read your chapter? I am on, I'm in the shadow of the past. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I'm in the shadow of the past. I have to make it to, let's see. This is such a beautiful book. Thank you for sending this to me, Riley. This is, this was such a nice surprise when, when these books, you sent me the small leather mm. bound editions of Lord of the Rings and it arrived in the mail. We opened it up and my daughter and I looked at each other and I was like, did you get this for me? She was like, no. And I, I looked at myself. I was like, did I get this for me? Did I get this for me? And I, I, I was like trying to think, and I looked on my Amazon history. I was like, I didn't get this. I don't remember getting this. And then, and then Sylvia was like, Oh, let's look at the box. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's from it's from Riley. Uh, yeah. So let's see. I have to make it to in the house of Tom Bombadil. So uh, yeah, I, I don't think I, we're doing that. We're not doing that chapter this week. I think. Yeah. Uh, I th- I remember I right. still I have I still have some some ways to go. I need to break out of the shadow of the past. Um, so, so I'm I know I'm a chairman of Geeky Stoics and a participant in the book club, but maybe you can tell me because I'm a bad student. Um, uh, we're doing the reading. The reading is happening right now. The first discussion meeting happens in two days, right? Yeah, yeah. We're okay. we're gonna have our first hangout uh, Sunday. As we're recording this on a Friday. Yeah. Okay. Plenty Great. of time. Also, Great. like there, are, there are no, 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 no. We're, I'm not, I'm not going to be a, a jerk about it. There's, there's no rules. If you, if you only do three chapters, you're still allowed to participate. You're gonna wrap people um, on the knuckles. Like, and, has everybody? No, <laughs> no. I think I, I'm big on like we're trying because I, I never do. This is the problem with me is I have absolutely no chill, so I always take things way too seriously. So me this is a very structured. Uh, <laughs> this is a very structured book club, but I, I think the actual structure is in place because I think it's way more fun if there's like, well, how much are we supposed to read and when are we getting together? So all of that's in place. And Zach's been killing it. I know uh, if you're listening, Zach, we appreciate Zach scheduled all that. Yeah. scheduled all the the google hangouts but it's i've been i've been listening to the fan produced audiobook which i'd never listened to which is just brilliantly done i i love it um mm. it's been i i've i've read these books many many times but it was all it was growing up i don't think i've read them since high yeah. school i want to it say it was on spotify for a minute and then it 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 dropped off my brother sent me the the fan audiobook mm. And, uh, it was like he said on Spotify and he warned me like it gets taken off and then someone puts it back on and oh, really? it's yeah, like, yeah. A, yeah, it's like a constant struggle. So I was listening to it and I was making progress, uh, on it's this, so on, on this read. And then the, uh, I was reading and having the audiobook play at the same time. And I found that oh, to be, I found that to be like a very romantic, enjoyable experience. Mm, um, yeah. Cause I always do read with music on, uh, when I read, I put on yeah. like ambient Same. soundscape music or Chinese strings or something like that. Uh, and so it was just nice to have this person reading to me and the music playing, but it is a violation of law. Uh, and so it, it gets taken off of Spotify and then someone puts it back on, but um, yeah. yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to catch back up and could I actually ask you a question unrelated? To yeah, 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 let's talk. So, uh, you said, uh, you have no chill and I, I think you were like making a joke, but you, you were also being serious. Um, 
And I, you know, I immediately related to that as a, as a creative and, you know, as a, as a collaborator, um, it's a self-conscious thing actually for me mm-hmm. because I, I don't, I feel like I don't have any chill. Like I, I really am always doing something. My, my family makes fun of me, my, my wife and my daughter, you know, that I, if I am not down here reading, writing, uh, uh, doing something, producing, mm. then I'm upstairs terrorizing them being like, someone needs to vacuum. This thing is sticky. <laughs> someone clean the windows. And so like their thing is that they want me busy as much as is possible. Otherwise <laughs> it's like, it's constant chores. Uh, yeah. I, I just, I don't, I don't ever stop. And I maybe stop around like 9 PM to watch a TV show with, with my wife. Um, and I always found that when I was in bands making music, um, collaborating with one of my last podcast co-hosts. Um, that sort of busy energy, highly motivated energy, uh, doesn't always go over very well. <laughs> yeah. And so, so how serious were you being, uh, when you say that you have no chill and, um, have I driven you crazy yet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good, it's a good question. Actually, I think it's a really good topic for this podcast um, because I think you and I have very similar values and very similar ambitions for like when we do a project again, both really wanting it to be good. So I think that's a, a good match. And I think the good news for both of us is that like if we were collaborators, if you were collaborated with me five years ago, it would have been a lot tougher. But I think just because of the amount of life that's passed and also sort of like how much more I'm tied into my my identity is much more tied into now family and my like profession, which is, you know, I'm an air force officer. Like that is my day job. That is Mm -hmm. the thing I do. So I think in some ways it allows me to still be like in my creative outlets or side hustles, uh, which is kind of what Kiki Stoics is right now. It, it allows me to have that intensity and passion, but it also allows me to sort of let go. Perfect examples are some of the videos. I'm very proud of the edits but man, I know as I've gone through like, oh, this edit could have been better or I, I think we, I could have made that thumbnail better. But I think I've gotten mm-hmm. better at like just knowing the priorities of life where I like I, I think you, you said it pretty well, like nine o'clock comes around. Uh, you, you, it's time to go be with family. Like uh, if it's if you're if you're working late into the night um, and have no priorities and no balance. Uh, then, then, then I think you're wrong. But honestly, when it comes to like uh, our approach to geeky stoics and stuff, I think we have yeah. a very healthy like passion and intensity because I think we know when to let it go and be like, okay, well, th- that video was published there for me. Like that video was published. I can think of, or if I watch it back, I think of other things I could have done to tweak it or maybe the, have the title have been better. So it would have been better for searches or like all these things are certainly true. Uh, but I think we're doing this that we're doing this project in the constraints of uh, families and day jobs where we only have so many hours that we can work on this. So our perfectionism tendencies just have to it's, be tamed. Yeah, it's true. And I, you know, I think one of the things that drew me to stoicism in the first place is actually, mm. you know, a failure of sorts, like a, a, a good experience slash bad experience. When I was hosting a talk show, I, I, I got like the job, the dream job of my life. I got mm. tapped to host a talk show, you know, with a large budget from a large international news organization. They like built me a set. They, they made, they got, I got a show. It was so cool. And I found myself clashing with the social media team and the design team for the show. 
every week. And it, it got like over the course of a year, the intensity of those clashes got bigger and bigger because the resentment mm. was was growing and growing. And so this is like the marketing team, the people who make the thumbnails for the show, the people who make the titles for the show, mm. uh, the people who yeah. cut and package the show. I was I was like fingers in all those things, you know, I'm like in Slack meddling. And there's mm-hmm. there's like a there's a balance to be struck in in projects, which is you know, sure. I have to do my job of hosting. I have to do my job of writing this show. I write the show. I book guests for it and then I I deliver the show. Uh, but then there are these like professionals who do the other side of it. I didn't like their work. Uh, I didn't like it. I still don't like it. Um but I didn't know where like the lines were and I didn't, I mm. didn't have a sense of when to stop and to like back off uh, and focus on what is in my control because like it was out of my control. Like these people uh, work in their own department, uh, their own supervisors, their own objectives and metrics of success. And I was trying to constantly put myself in that and it definitely like caused a meltdown uh, of relationships and when I started learning about the spheres of, the spheres of control, um, the circles of control from Epictetus and mm. Marcus Aurelius yeah. and you know all of that through Ryan Holiday, I sort of had a realization. I was like, okay, this is why my last year just didn't go well. Because I could have been putting so much more energy into the thing that was within my control, writing a great show, being a better mm. presenter, reading a teleprompter just a little bit better. I wasn't working on my stuff. I was always trying to fix other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you only have so much uh, energy, it's, this is really much, often more of a limitation of energy than it is time or anything else. Like if you expend your energy on those things that you can't control, or I dare say, I think that there's um, layers to this, the things that are more difficult to control that require exertion of influence, persuasion, um, that that's that sucks energy uh and it's and you have to be such a good steward of that because um to to your point like i i i think um when when i think about your your experience there or the few times that we've talked about it it seems like it's it's one of those things that it's so difficult to detach the ambitions of of what you th- think it could be in the best version of this experience in your mind uh, so they can disrupt the reality of the the amazing experience you're in uh, this sort of chapter of your life where you hosted a a prominent talk show with funding and a set and uh, a support structure like a, a rare privilege right but it's difficult to i'm sure it was difficult to appreciate that in the moment because you had your sort of vision of of what it what it could be but i think that's that's not necessarily a bad thing steven i think it's it's good self-reflection and a learning experience because I don't think you should ever let go of that higher vision of ideal of what what things could be. But to your point, uh, understanding that then you just have to accept uh, the things you cannot control and push where you can control. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, our process, uh, just because this is behind the scenes, you know, our process is writing. Uh, and figuring out uh, what is working for the writing process on Geeky Stoics. Like the geekystoics.com 
um, bank of articles is where we derive ideas for more content from. I would like, you know, one day to have videos being released at the same time as their companion articles. I think that's like one of the goals that I have for production yeah. workflow. But right now, like when we write an article, that's a script and that script gets shaped up as good as it possibly can be for readability, for enjoyment by the audience that we have. Uh, and then that gets turned into videos and, you know, we have different alignments, different tastes, uh, but also like different skills. I thought I was a good video editor. It turns out you're a better video editor. Um, I, I really, I thought I was very good, uh, but you're, you're better. Um, and that's like, that's like super clear. And you sort of realize maybe at a certain age or maybe after a certain number of bad experiences, like, you know, what is the real importance of like, I really want this this trim here or this very small edit here in the video is that mm -hmm. is that really you maximizing the quality of the video or is that just you wanting to like have control <laughs> over it and yeah. you know th those lines are uh, those lines are very unclear at times there's there's no way yeah, for you to true. know am am i just trying to control this project or am I really like, no, 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 like we have to edit this little bit to make this so much better. And your sense, because you study YouTube and you study way better than I do about the rules of success, like the first 15 seconds of a video have to really pop, have to really grab you. I, I don't have like that sensibility um, about how to cut down on things and and package it in a way that works on YouTube. Um, but I really, and, and this is again, because I, I torched all of my relationships with my producers on my last show over thumbnails, um, <laughs> yeah. over thumbnails was like the thing. And um, I still have like very strong feelings about thumbnails. I think it's just because I love visuals. I really love, mm. I love graphic design and the, yes, the feeling yeah. and I, like I, the feeling like when I, I share an image, you know, you share like a YouTube video. And it's going to auto-populate that image. It's the first thing that people see. I find myself being like, I really want to like this to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, yeah, I mean, like we, we work on thumbnails, you know, we, we iterate, we go back and forth. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I just, I appreciate uh, working with a fellow, you know, traveler on this journey of like being busy. Um, eager passionate and like having a desire for things to be their best but someone who's also practicing the art of when to let go um because yeah no it's tough yeah. <laughs> it's tough i think see and this is uh, i think this is this is now squarely like uh behind the scenes uh, reflection on i think uh how we can do better i think especially this year what i what i think i've learned is that to me, the sign, it's difficult to know where that line is, like you're talking about. To me, that number one uh, uh, metric is like, are you able to publish? And if you're, and if you're, if depending on how busy you are, or what stage of life, or what the family's up to, uh, like there are all these other factors, but are you able to get it, uh, to make it good to where you're excited about publishing? And can you actually publish it? whether it's a video or an article, or it, are you sitting there for a few weeks, you know, where it's in draft form and you're still making tweak and then still making another tweak. And at some point you just have to be like, it's, it's, it's got to go into the universe and, and do its thing. It must be free. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I appreciate the and I, I know Ryan Holiday cribbed this from somebody else, but this is the way that it works. One writer cribs a thing from another writer and then they say it and then it and then it's their saying. Uh but you know, like that only amateurs wait for inspiration. Uh to write um only amateur writers wait for inspiration before they do the thing and you know all the time i'm I'm having to do that where i'm i used to for geeky stoics it used to be called this is the way i used to wait for a life experience uh, something to happen in my home or in my career that then i would write about that i would want to share out and that's just not really how this is supposed to work you have to just constantly be writing and you sit down and you start on a half-formed thought a disjointed idea and then you just start driving it. Um, you know, we're going to publish an article on Monday about mm-hmm. what we've talked about today. The best advice is that which we give ourselves. Uh, the C.S. Lewis idea about how to write for children tied mm-hmm. to the Star Wars director CNN story. Um, and yeah. I had that written and I had like a paragraph months ago. Um, and when this news hit... I was like, okay, there's a little bit of a connection there. And I just, I started toying with the idea. I started toying with the idea that you might be able to connect C.S. Lewis, Three Ways of Writing for Children, to a hyper-political controversy involving a Star Wars director. I didn't, I didn't know the connection immediately, but I, but you knew one was going to come. Yeah. And I just, (laughs) and I, so I just started writing. I started writing about the story with my end objective being to tie it to three ways of writing for children. And as I was writing, I figured out, I figured out the bridge because I knew in my heart, like in my gut that there was something there but I wasn't mm. sure what, but you have to write to figure it out. You don't like sit around, meditate, yeah. boil tea, uh, put on music and go like, all right, I need a divine, <laughs> I need a divine sense of connection. Th- th- that happens in the, in the shoveling. You have to like get in the hole and start shoveling. And then you find the mm. thing that, that you're looking for. I like it. I like it. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear that your process too. Uh, it's it's good inspiration for me because uh, while I'm a nerdy, I love the video and video editings and, and getting behind the microphone, things I'm comfortable with. The sort of um, the discipline of writing is something that I'm very much wanting to focus on this year. Um, and just, just, just to get uh, behind the keyboard and get uh, better and more regular at it. So I'm, I'm excited. I think maybe this is a good way to sort of cap the show. Uh, let's, let's talk, um, I, I think looking ahead, we've got the next couple. January is pretty um pretty packed already. Mm-hmm. We've got the the video that um you cut. Uh, I'm putting the finishing touches on. I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, the Palpatine uh, good as a point of view, Anakin. Is it though? <laughs> and from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. I was thought that would be the cl- clip that you'd be. Like, and from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Yeah, I, I know <laughs> yeah. I used that somewhere in the video, but I I kept wanting yeah, I kept yeah. wanting to come back to it. Um. It's so true, but like George was on the nose with his uh, his relativism commentary, and that's what it is. It's literally we've got a video coming out on relativism, uh, Stephen. I know you made it based on the the recent piece you just yeah. published uh, on 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 the Substack. So I'm excited, uh, putting some finishing touches on it. And you know, uh, today I'm so excited then, for this mm-hmm. one because it's like yeah. it is it is like it's layman's philosophy and and or amateur philosophy. Like we're not like going super deep on moral relativism you know there are there are incredible 
YouTube channels and books and ventures that you can Mm. check out for you to dive so deep on moral relativism and the philosophy associated with it that it that it hurts. Um, But like Mm. what we do at Geeky Stoics is is introduce some very top level relevant ideas and filter those through stories that you love, like Star Wars. And Star Wars has a really, really great series of of messages and character arcs tied to whether or not good is a real thing, um, you know, or if it's just mm. tied to your cultural experience, your background. We talk about this all the time, like, you know, mm. like particularly since 9-11 and the war on terror, it's it's been this constant drumbeat. And it's, I think it actually mm. has a lot to do with prequels of what if we're the bad guys here? You know, we've mm. been bombing and, and, you know, you know, causing war and, and all this kind of stuff in these parts of the world for so many years. What if we're the bad guy of their story? And, and I like that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm attracted to that kind of thinking where you sort of put yourselves in the shoes of another, you imagine yourself mm. as the villain of their yeah. story. This is an important practice and exercise, but it's also, uh, it can very like strongly open you up to delusion. Um, and yeah, and- <laughs> it's, it's so interesting because you're talking about empathy. You're like, you're talking about a virtue, but if it, it when, when unchecked by, when, when unchecked by any kind of moral foundation, that's where you have that sort of ambiguity uh, that can pop up quickly. Yeah. And Star Wars is just, it's littered with it. So we've got this new video coming mm-hmm. out that is about about that. And again, I was kind of like just working through the thought myself a little bit. Um, and I have been doing a C.S. Lewis series of readings right now. So I'm, I'm this is probably one reason I'm behind on fellowship. I need to know more CS, <laughs> no more CS Lewis this week. Only. I mean, they're very, they're very closely related. I know, they were, they were um, uh, but I'm going to be putting down CS Lewis now for two days and only fellowship. Um, but yeah, so I, I've been kind of like baking a lot of that into what we've been doing. A lot of our videos from a couple of weeks and months ago were very much about, you know, just like Marcus Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, this Seneca, that, cause like, that's what, I was reading at the time. Um, right mm. now I'm reading C.S. Lewis and and Fellowship. And so those connections are now going to kind of start seeding their way through the channel. Yeah. But the exciting thing about this project is that it it's like layers of a cake building. I've never read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity or the Screwtape Letters. And so that's going to then mm. give me the ability to make more stuff, make more connections, and draw more lines between great stories and their moral lessons. Um, and they're going to be relevant now. They're going to be relevant next year. And, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'll probably want to do something again, going back to the stoic text that I've been reading this year. Uh, but right now I'm on a, I'm on a little bit of a Lewis and Tolkien kicks. So. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's more squarely in the territory I grew up with or familiar with that informed my experience or exposure to philosophy growing up. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, dude, I, I'm happy. Like literally the next chapter you're jumping into, I'm trying to remember what it was called. I pulled it up cause I was trying to reference it. The, uh, oh yeah. The three is company is chapter three, but it ties the next chapter fellowship. And as we get into it for the book club, literally the, the whole idea of even the black writers chasing the hobbits when they first arrive in the Shire, it's a little bit more extended and there's a little bit more nuance to Frodo's journey departing bag end. 
there's a whole like subplot uh not really spoiling it but the idea is like he was gonna move to his where his relatives lived uh in buckland and and you know he's gonna wait for gandalf to come back and the that that plan is disrupted literally on his journey but the whole idea is, is the black riders as soon as he hears them sees them in the distance he has this sense and it's in the film too a little bit more dramatized. It's a little more subtle in the book, but this instant sense, just, just, just no, looking and recognizing that they are. That it, he, that in the book, there's no reason. It's very on the nose in the movie. There, he's like, oh yeah, it's the bad guys, the creepy black riders with the cloaks, but they're just cloaked figures on horseback in the in the books. They are creepy, but it's 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 much more about Frodo's innate sense of like there is evil. And and that is and it is it is an innate sense that he has based on the good he knows um, from his experience in the Shire, um, and and he knows a little taste of what evil could be because of his conversations with Bilbo. So Frodo is not this innocent Hobbit who knows nothing of of what evil might be. So he recognizes it, and it's funny. It's like literally ties into the same thing you've been talking about. So I'm I'm excited, man. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a good book club. It's going to be a good video coming out. Um, and then, yeah, I'm doing like literally a 10 minute straight analysis on just one quote from Empire. <laughs> but that's like two weeks from now. I've, I'm uh, just finished the script for it. But yeah. uh, I'm excited, man. All right. Rock and roll. The force is strong. Any parting shots for us? No, just excited to be uh, doing this uh, this new monthly stream chat with you. Uh, the Geeky, yeah. Geeky Stoics live mega cast. <laughs> Mega cast. Yeah, let us know if you're watching this on the Substack or listening to it in the, in the um, uh, on, on on the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, hit us up, uh, leave a comment. We appreciate it. And uh, until next time, may the force be with you always. <laughs>